Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Podcast Land for another funky adventure. Are you saying you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me? You got it! I'm Jeff Wallenitz, and this is OK So. This week, I caught up with Allison Camillo, friend and executive producer at Full Frontal with Samantha B. Allison and I talk about her life in Virginia through college at UVA, how the stars aligned when she got to New York City, her work on The Daily Show and Full Frontal, and how we're both awful at getting our children to distance learn. As always, if you like what you hear, please follow us on Twitter at PodcastOKSO and give us five stars on iTunes. On with the show. Okay, so welcome everyone to episode 12 of OK So. I'm Jeff Wallenitz. With me is Allison Camillo. Allison, welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? How's your quarantine? Week 25 of quarantine? I don't know. Totally. It's like every day is a Windsor Fratter Day. <laughs> you have no <laughs> idea what it is. Every day we wake up. Even my husband comes in every morning, so we have to print out all the those little forms for school, you know, so it's like the daily assignment for a seven-year-old or whatever, and every day he walks in and he's like, doing this again, doing this again, so it's just like this every 24 hours, we have the same conversation over and over again. Yeah, it's a lot like Groundhog Day. I had a friend for a few days who was texting, I got you, babe, to like a group chat every morning, and I was like, this is, it's too on the nose, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't have you do this to me anymore. But I do take a moment every morning to sit down and think to myself, okay, what is today and what do I have to do today? And there are days that I definitely hang on that what is today question for a little bit longer than I probably should. Totally. I think it's also interesting to see how like you had, you, everybody sort of had to like create a new world for themselves in quarantine. So you have to have like, you, you know, you used to structure things where it's like, okay, I have coffee and then I walk to work and then I do these sort of things and all that just went completely out the window. So now it's like, what's my new structure? And it's hilarious. Like I come, I get up every morning, take a shower, put on clothes, set up my office in my bedroom, which is essentially like to put my little desk thing and laptop on my bed and like open up the shades so I get plenty of sunlight. And then I do a certain amount of work and then I listen to Cuomo. So Cuomo is always like my touchstone around like 1130 or so. <laughs> He's part of your daily routine. Yes. Yeah, totally. He's part of my quarantine routine. And um. <laughs> But it's funny to see how you like you have that new structure and then Vince goes and sits at the dining room table and my kids are in the living room and then we go from there. So, I mean, you're in the city like me and yeah. you're four people in a small apartment like me. Small. I mean, yes. my, my apartment is, I, I think, fairly generous as far as New York City apartments go. But if someone came in here and was like, what do you mean this is big? Um, that's probably <laughs> what would happen. So um, how are you guys finding your own interpersonal interactions? Is it like, does it get tense from time to time? And you're like, you're in my space, oh, get out yeah. of my space, that sort of thing? I mean, it's, yeah, well, I think we've done pretty well. It, it's made me very grateful for who I married and the children that I have, because I've said it over and over again too. I'm like, oh my God, if my kids were super irritating, I don't know how we would be able to do this in 1200 square feet, you know? <laughs> And my yeah. like sweet, kind husband, like I hug him 20 times a day because I'm just so happy to be married to him and not to be married to a jerk in the middle of this because it would just make the walls close in, you know? Uh, well, yes, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. we're, so we had just relocated to a new apartment also in, in August. So I, what yeah. I do keep thinking to myself is if we were in the old apartment where the kids were sharing a bedroom, I, like yeah. I have no idea, we'd have all jumped off the roof by now. There's just no. And that's where we are. Our kids share a bedroom. 
and their beds are like right up next to each other. So most of the time they get along pretty well. And then every once in a while I start hearing screaming and have to go out and separate them and then go back to work. <laughs> I mean, that's, again, speaking of new routines, I mean, that's it, right? Pry the kids Absolutely. apart and then go respond to that email that's sitting in your inbox. Totally. And when you're trying to do work, all bets are off. It's like whatever it takes to make them quiet, you will do it. It's like I literally just go and like take handfuls of M&Ms and just like shove it at one kid and then shove the other handful at the other kid. And I'm like, just eat them and be quiet. <laughs> if you promise to stop punching each other, here's candy. <laughs> exactly. You can have 98 candy is fine. You can have whatever you want to. It's so funny. funny. So let's Let's rewind. Let's go all the way to the beginning. Um, you okay. grew up in Virginia. I did. In Portsmouth, Virginia. In Port. So where is that near, roughly? Portsmouth is down at the bottom near North Carolina and Tidewater. So it's in the uh, extreme southeast part of Virginia. And it is a very small, very southern town. Is it beachy? Are you like, are you, were you close to the water? Yeah, we're uh, 20 minutes from the beach. And then we're right on the Elizabeth River. So it's like there it's one of those places that you go where you can't drive more than a mile without crossing a bridge because it's all water and actually a lot of Portsmouth where I grew up is under sea level like below sea level so anytime it would rain you could, you know on the weather channel when they had kids out in those little dinghies like rolling around the neighborhood <laughs> yes that was us that's Portsmouth Virginia <laughs> Oh that's so funny okay so wow that's that's wild so really any time yeah. a, a storm of any merit came through you guys were underwater yeah. Flooded. Absolutely flooded. Yeah. It's like, I've, I've told people before too, because there's a lot of people I know who are like, oh, you're from Virginia? I have friends from Virginia. And I'm like, is it Northern Virginia? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's good Virginia. <laughs> this is a different area. <laughs> so, so that, I guess, sort of semi answers the next. So like, what, how did you, how did you like growing up there? What, what was, what'd you guys like, what'd you do? I always ask people who didn't grow up in large metropolitan areas, what they, oh, yeah. what they did growing up. And I'm assuming it was mostly outdoorsy, but. It was outdoors the whole time. It was a lot of like, we were also, we didn't have very much money when I was growing up. So it was a lot of like, how can my, I have an older sister who's two years older than me named Jennifer, who's my best friend in the whole world. I would not have survived childhood without her. That is a hundred percent true. And it was a lot of like, how can we make our own fun? And so she and I, she has a fantastic imagination. And so she and I basically just like made up stories all the time. We wrote plays, we made up dances, we, you know, enlisted all of our, we would write plays and musicals and enlist all of our friends to be in them who totally didn't want to do it, but we made them do it. And then we would just like put on these giant performances for everybody in the neighborhood or parents or anybody who we could try to get to watch them. Um, and it was super fun. And, you know, we, we were outside all the time. We played sock ball, which I feel like is a thing that only poor kids who grew up in the South know what that is. <laughs> and it's exactly what it sounds like. There's no bat. It's like whatever you can use, like a broomstick and then a pair of rolled up socks. And then that's what you play. So it's, it's, it's baseball with, you know, whatever you had handy effectively. Yeah, totally. Like with a sock and a board or whatever, whatever you got. And we also, uh, Everybody learned how to drive really early. Like, you know, the whole get your driver's license at 15 and 15 and a half or whatever the age was back then is just a suggestion. I was definitely driving cars by the time I was 13. Oh my, oh my God. And to places? Like from place to place? Yeah, like from, my dad would let me home drive home from like High's Ice Cream, which was like a mile away from our house. Oh my God, that's wild. Like my, my dad would like let me back out of the driveway or something. Um, yeah. But nothing... Yeah, no, nothing roadworthy. Yeah, that's wild. 
fully driving. The thing was too, we had this big, this like gigantic old Cadillac. So I think that the theory was that we weren't going to hurt ourselves or anybody else because it was just this big giant thing that could, you know, it had no pickup whatsoever. So you could only like top it out at like 20 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess it was so large and like an armored tank, I guess. It was totally, it was just, it was a tank. It was huge. Tell me a little more about the plays. So do you remember anyone specifically that you pulled together? That's really interesting and fun. It's funny, right? We, we A lot of them, they were always musicals. So we did, there was one big one that we did, I remember, that was all based around the song Get Into the Groove by Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> we did an entire- Good song. It was great. I still remember the dance to it. Honestly, if you called my sister right now and said, get your phone out and tape yourself doing the get into the groove dance she'd be able to do it there's no I have no doubt um and then we did another one huge you know gigantic production based on dirty laundry by Don Henley uh that's a little more obscure into the groove (laughs) was a was a charting hit I think but dirty laundry was like a b-side yeah it was totally a b-side but you know it spoke to us and that's really all we needed was something that was like a little motivational to get us going that is the whole thing behind art, right? <laughs> it's yeah, what speaks totally. to you. Yeah, 100%. So um, where'd you go to school? Did you go to school in Virginia? I did. I, like, I went to all of like, you know, elementary, junior high, high in Portsmouth at a place called Churchland High School, or Churchland Elementary School, Churchland Middle School, whatever. Um, and that was a, it, it's a super different place down there. I think that was sort of like, this was the theme of my childhood is that I felt like I was born into the wrong place like I, I never felt like I really fit in in Portsmouth like it's you know a bunch of lovely people a lot of military there um but it just wasn't my thing like there's also you know tons of racism there there's tons of sexism and I, it just was not it wasn't what I felt comfortable around and so I knew from the time I was very small that I was going to get out there was no doubt about it and my so I met this this woman who I still love and she's one of my best friends her name's Macy Hale and she and I became best friends in third grade and by fourth grade we had decided that we were going to go to the University of Virginia together in Charlottesville we had figured out like what our whole dorm room decor would be and she and I you know we had certain things in common but she was very like she's really smart and she's really pretty and she's blonde and she's like a cheerleader and I was more of like a darker kid like a little bit like you know, 10 year old goth type of child. Yeah, emo before emo was hot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. But that the thing that bonded us together is that we both knew we were going to get the hell out of Portsmouth. And so we did it. We, you know, everybody it was funny, too, because I think a lot of people were like, oh, that's adorable. They're going to go to UVA and be roommates. And they're telling us this when they're like eight years old or whatever. But we did it. So and w- that we actually did keep the same dorm decor that we picked out in fourth grade. No kidding. Was, yeah. Two determined women. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of drive. So, and so you you did, you upped and you went to UVA and you guys were roommates at UVA and yes, that's truly amazing. Yeah, it was, it's great. And like, you know, and Macy, I literally just talked to her a couple of weeks ago. Like she still lives in Charlottesville. She's married now. She has two kids and she's just like a fantastic, wonderful person. And to me, it's like, that was, I felt so lucky with like the sister that I got. I felt so lucky with like the mom that I got and I felt so lucky having Macy because I feel like those things really kind of like kept me moving in the right direction. And when you got to Virginia, what did you decide to major in when you were there? When I first started, I I love math. I really love math. 
Um, so I took a lot of math classes and I was like, oh, I think I'm going to be a math major and maybe I'll be like a professor or something. And then I started taking math classes at UVA and was like bored out of my mind and confused. <laughs> it was not a good fit at all. Um, right. And I'd been taking English classes for fun because UVA is known for having a great English program and it's terrific. And so I um, switched over and became an English major. That totally makes sense. Right. So, and it's yeah. the thing that's funny too, is that like, because I do, I'm like one of those people who I'm not left brain or right brain. It's literally like a 50, 50 split. So I'm good at math and good at English, which I think is weird. But at the same time, like it totally makes sense to me. Even like the way I always think about, like when I was in college, when you write a paper, people are like, oh, it's so weird that you're a math person. And I'm like, it's not though. If you think about how you write a paper in college, you start with your thesis and then you prove it. And that's just like proving a theorem in math. Like you have to go step by step to prove your thesis. And it's funny because it's like, that's that sort of mathematical style of writing. Like I still, you know, I did that all through college. I, I wrote at uh, a paper that we had there called the declaration. And then now that's still what I do. Like at full frontal. It's like that kind of like mathematical, making sure that we're proving a theorem kind of point when we do our headlines. That's super interesting because that is like, now that you're saying it out loud, that is how that construct is exactly what makes that show, I think, successful, which is you're stating something and then you're actually following through on yes. the statement in, yeah. in proof of it. That's really, really interesting. Totally. And to me, it's like the thing that's amazing. The thing that I love about working at full frontal too, especially when you put these headlines together obviously like the words are 90% of it. So what the writers write is amazing. And that like, you know, they're pulling together all of this information and research and jokes to make this kind of cohesive headline. But then also like, that's the other thing you get all the, the multimedia aspect of it. So then now you have to have uh, socks, which are is sound on tape and you have to have graphics and you have to have funny graphics and you have mock-ups and you have all of these things that sort of like pull that all together. But what you're doing with all of that information is that you're essentially trying to prove this thesis, which is why you're doing the headline in the first place. And I, to me, that's like the most rewarding thing ever. And I love to see it all add up and go, you know what, we did it. It makes you really happy. When you were in Charlottesville, that was kind of around the time like Dave Matthews was coming up, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> so he must have been like all over that campus. He totally was. I mean, every it was so funny. It's like I was there. Everybody had a Dave story at that point, for sure. Like there was no doubt about it. Like I knew his sister Jane and he, it was at the point where he was like just about to take off. He was, um, I remember figuring out at one point, he used to play it every Tuesday night at Trax, which is like the local music place. And it was $5 to get in. And then he, every Wednesday night, he played at a place called the Flood Zone in Richmond, Virginia. And I think it was about the same, like $5 to get in. And I remember trying to figure out exactly how much he was pulling in per show and it made me realize that like he was at the point where he was just about to be able to quit his day job he was a bartender mm -hmm. and um I was like oh my god he has made it like he, you know what I mean like he said at the point where he can like quit his day job and then it just like everything exploded but he's you know it was great and like we were I was at his shows every Tuesday night and we all everybody knew the band it's because it wasn't like you have a celebrity in town. It was literally like, oh, there's like, there's Dave and there's Boyd and they're just hanging out drinking at Miller's on the downtown mall, you know? Oh, totally. A friend of mine went to Washington and Lee in Lexington, a guy that I went to um, actually grammar school with, like all the way up. It's, you still know him. He lives out on Long Island, my friend Doug. Um, and his freshman year at Washington and Lee, my freshman year in college, was 
right in that same area about to take off. And he used to cruise through there. This must have been post-bartend, but pre-celebrity stardom. And yeah. he would cruise through. That was the same sort of thing. You'd like, you know, you'd see Dave in the bar for a $5 yes. cover every week. It's just, yes, the guy was like, effectively, he was Northern Virginia royalty at that point. Yeah, totally. And like with us too, it was like, you know, he was the guy that you like played pool with the night before, you know? Well, that's even, that's even cooler, <laughs> right? On a certain level. Because you're thinking back, like, I mean, think about Dave Matthews now. The guy sells out wherever he goes. I mean, I've seen yeah. him at Giant Stadium and with 75,000 people. Um, but, you know, you shot pool and... <laughs> And hustled him at the pool table kind of thing. 100% hustled him, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of those people that, like, definitely did the, like, oh, I've never played pool before. And then, like, you know, then you come in and you're the ringer. That was my favorite. Totally. And then there's, like, English on the ball spinning around other other balls on the table. <laughs> totally. Exactly. Yeah. Doing, like, banking behind the back. <laughs> definitely that type of person. So how'd you get from there to New York? So, okay. So I graduated from UVA with an English major and went to work at uh, the UVA hospital. There, So there were two places I worked. One was called Interdisciplinary Graduate Studies and the other was the uh, Department of Molecular Physiology and Biological Physics. <laughs> so I, was, I just did like graduate admissions for them. Mm -hmm. And it was fine. And I made a good living and the people I worked with were very lovely but it was so a hundred percent, not what I wanted to do. Like, I, I think I always knew I wanted to work in TV. Like from the, from the moment I was maybe five or six and kind of realized that there were people behind the scenes who made shows that I was like, okay, that's a job I want to have. But when you're from Portsmouth, Virginia, you can tell people that and they're like, oh, that's adorable. What do you really want to do? You know, yeah. almost like going to UVA, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Nobody believes you, you know, but you're like, okay, it kind of always sticks in the back of your head is like, I have to do it. So I kind of, tried to do that kind of typical day job thing and be happy with it. And I was not happy. And it w I knew that it was not a thing that I wanted to do. And so I decided to, I knew one thing that it made me happy was working with young, smart people. And so I decided to just quit and start waiting tables because it's like tons of money. And UVA is one of those typical college towns where everybody that you're waiting tables with has either, you know, they've got their master's, they've got a PhD. They're so smart and fun. And it's just this little like beautiful cultural culture of like liberal young kids hanging out, having a good time um, and loved it. I had a really great time waiting tables. I still, I feel like actually, and I'll talk about this later, but I feel like waiting tables is really good preparation for working at a TV show. Mm. So that was because it's like working in production. It's that same kind of close, you know, everybody's moving around at the same thing. You're all kind of working towards one goal. Um, but so waited tables for a while, but just realized like, I'm never going to make any money here. And then also, I really want to work in TV. So if I don't do it now when I'm 25 and I'm not married and I have no ties, I either have to like go and try to do it or have to give it up and stop thinking about it. So my friend Sam and I um, took a three-month road trip across the country and drove, you know, drove all the way. We went, drove up and stayed in New York for a little while, drove out to San Francisco, went to L.A., you know, came down, went all through Texas and all through the Southeast. And that was sort of like a, that was kind of like the turning point for me mentally, where I realized, like, even though the world feels very big and scary, it's actually very small and very relatable and tangible. And if I really wanted to do it, if I wanted to move to New York and work in TV, I should just try to do it. So um, I talked to my best friend, Sam, 
into coming up to New York with me for the weekend one time. And we went, I loved the daily show because that the news magazine I used to work right for at, uh, in Charlottesville, the declaration, it was like, it was like a news weekly news magazine, but they also had like a little kind of parody portion of it, which mm-hmm. I loved. And then we also had the, a publication called the yellow journal, which was all parody. But so I loved news politics and comedy. And so when the daily show came out, I was a regular fan almost immediately. So Sam and I came up to New York. We didn't have tickets for the daily show. We just found out where they taped and just showed up there one day. <laughs> Cause you know, we're from Virginia. We don't know how they do anything. Sure. Um, and they were very, very, very nice. And they let us in and they let us come see the show that day. And I was sitting in, you know, sitting in the audience watching it. It was Craig Kilborn was the host then. And I was like, you know, I really want to work here. And so as soon as we were done taping, I found a PA, pulled him aside and was like, hey, do you guys have interns? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, can I get a fax number to fax in my resume? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. So he gave it to me. I went to Columbia Computer Lab that night and typed out my resume and faxed it in the next day. And they called me. And then I came back the day after for an, inter- uh, an interview for an internship. And then like, you know, went back to Virginia. And then like two weeks later, they called me and told me that I had an internship starting that January. That's amazing. And so now you have, I mean, that just shows the value of that type of face-to-face interaction. So now you have a gig at The Daily Show. And tell me what it was like when you stepped out onto the set as an employee, knowing that you had just been sitting in the audience thinking that that's what you wanted to do three weeks before. Yeah, totally. It's the whole thing was overwhelming. I think it's like, I'm sure you've noticed this too, but I always feel like your path in life, like your general, genuine, general path in life. It's like if, when things are sort of like challenging and hard, it means maybe you're not going the right direction. And then if you turn the different direction and you start going and things are like very easy and everything kind of falls into place, it's sort of like, that's, it's kind of God or whatever telling you you're going in the right direction. And that's how I felt with this. It was like everything was very, very easy trying to like, you know, come up here. And I, my best friend, Sam, I was like, can you move up there with me? And he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. (laughs) And we needed a place to live, but we didn't have any money. And my friend Caroline was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really serious with my boyfriend and I want to live with him before we get married. So I'm going to hold my apartment and you guys can just stay in my apartment and pay me whatever you can pay me. You know what I mean? So it was like kind of everything was falling into place. And then I do remember like that first day that I went in. And when to tape the show, like it's, it was, su- it's super emotional. You know what I mean? Like you go in and you're like, oh my God, like I'm actually doing it. Like I, I had a goal and I put it in front of myself and I, I asked people and they all said yes. And then now here I am. And it was, it was great. It's a really great feeling. And so let's take a moment to talk about, so you, you had a, a bunch of jobs through your time at the Daily Show. Oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. But, you know, Craig Kilborn, your time with him was sort of short-lived. Take a minute yeah. and talk about the impact that Jon Stewart's had on you. Because he, oh. you know, everything you hear about him as a guy um, yeah. just speaks to like a remarkable character. So talk a little bit about that. He's incredible. He's just, he's an incredible person. I've now known him for 21 years. And literally, he was just, it was so interesting. Like when he showed up, it felt like, like now the show's got like this father figure like he was there he was so interested he was interested in every single department he really wanted to like take the show and elevate it in every way possible and he was just he was the captain of our ship like without a doubt from the first moment he got there he was the captain of our ship and um he was just great and he was very 
clear-headed and he was very opinionated about what he liked and what he wanted on the show. And it was our whole job to sort of kind of like fulfill that vision and, you know, get him, make it perfect, like a perfect example of kind of what's going on in his brain on the air. Um, which is, you know, it's hard. It was really hard. And he expected a lot of, out of everybody and everybody really stepped up to the plate. And I think that's why the show works so well because because he did have that vision. But then even also just personally, he was just like an incredibly kind person. You know, when I had, so it took us forever to have both of our kids and um, John and his wife had gone through IVF multiple times too. And so when I, I had Roman, who was my son, you know, who's now 10. So when I had him, I was on maternity leave. And at that point I was working probably like nine to seven before I had him. And I started thinking, it starts getting really depressing thinking about going back to work. Cause it's like nine to seven is such a long time to be away from your baby. And so I'll never forget. I went into his office and he held Roman for a little while. And he was like, well, he's like, here's the deal. Now you're working till five, you know, you can be on call until the show's over or whatever. And if anybody has an issue with that, they can come talk to me and that's it. Yeah. Outstanding. That's really, yeah. and, and that you hear a lot of the stories, the work that he did for first responders in nine oh. eleven, things like that. Yes. I just really, um, he, he, I think time and time again has demonstrated that level of compassion and integrity. Absolutely. And I think that's the whole thing too, where it's like, even from like, you know, the biggest challenges, like the 9-11 commission down to the most granular things of like some employee who's having an issue. He was just there all the time. And he was, you know, he was right behind us. He, he had our backs all the time and was just really a kind, smart, interesting, opinionated, funny guy. And so I kind of prepped you a little for this question. So I think you've been thinking about it, but he, especially, I mean, he's the one who started this by he consistently calls the daily show fake news. Mm -hmm, um, totally. And I know Trevor Noah has sort of continued, even though he's put his own spin on the show, which is, I would say, as entertaining, if differently entertaining. We now live in a world where the term fake news is thrown out a lot, um, even for things that are actual, real, factual news uh, that's coming out. The Daily Show's conceit, and Full Frontal's conceit in a lot of ways, is we're fake news, but we're actually reporting out real things you need to be paying attention to, however insidious or insane they are. Yeah. But the line between fake and real has been blurred so significantly. How do you, or how do you feel, and how did you walk the line of truth in fake news, I guess? Totally. I mean, I think this is the thing. So when John started, our show was like, we, you know, a lot of people, I think this was like maybe like early 2000s when all those reports started coming in that young people were getting their news more from the Daily Show than they were from actual news. Um, and so we considered ourselves, it was like, there's actual news and then there's fake news. And it doesn't mean that anything we're talking about is not true. It's just we're not like a real news organization. Um, but it, it was funny because that I it always kind of bugged John too, because he was like, well, we're not a news show or a comedy show. Like everybody was very comedy first when it comes to it but there's got to be a point at, at some point where you go you know what we are actually like providing news to people and I will say too like our show you know even the daily show back in those early days operated very much like a news organization like there's researchers there's fact checkers at least you know anything that goes on the air is true for the most part like it's been fact checked and we're trying to make it as truthful as possible because I do think that if there's something that's factually incorrect, you can't laugh at it. So it's like you have to have that groundwork of 
real news. And then you add the layer of comedy on it, which makes you fake news, I guess. Um, but now like the way that Trump talks about fake news is different because he's also like changing the meaning of words. <laughs> it's exactly what you said, where it's like <laughs> oh, most of the time when he's talking about fake news, it just means it's somebody who's offended him, but it's actually couldn't be more real, you know? I do. It's um, it's one of the things that's most troubling because uh, what I find with, and I'm not going to address him specifically, but what I what I find with people who have that type of mentality about things that if something doesn't align with their narrative, that it's immediately just dismissed, yeah. brushed aside, it's it's incorrect, whatever, um, is that they throw so much at the wall that eventually something comes out that might not be exactly factually correct. And all they do is point at that and say, look, um, yes. I told you it's fake. Um, yes. So that kind of integrity in quote unquote fake news, which is effectively real fact checked uh, yes. programming with, you know, uh, a humorous spin on it, I, I think is, is what made the daily show and what makes the daily show so uniquely interesting and successful. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, they're, it's incredible. Like they're, you know, Trevor's doing a great job now, but that, I think that's really, that's really been important to all of us is that like, you know, facts, ma facts do matter. Facts are kind of like what give you security enough to laugh at something. So when somebody like the whole, you know, what Trump's doing is just a totally different thing. And just to me, that's the whole thing is like him taking away the meaning of words, which is really like terrible and something that dictators do. So it's like, you know what I mean? It's just like the beginning of like this awful course of things that can happen once somebody starts doing that. But I do think that it's like, you know, you look at the Daily Show, you look at the full at full frontal, and we do always start with actual news. Like all, everybody who works there are news nerds. Like all of us are news nerds. And so we don't want to have anything that's not exactly right. And we really do go through and fact check like, you know, every graphic, every line of the script, every second of a field piece has been fact checked multiple times by different places to make sure that it's as correct as possible. So let's talk about full frontal now for a bit. So one day things sort of changed kind of actually probably not so rapidly, but in what seemed like fairly rapid succession, right? Sam left the show and she went on to put together this idea on how to do it and eventually went to TBS. And John decided that he was going to quote unquote retire. And so there was a changing of the guard and the host of the show. And you now get a call from Sam that's come join full frontal. I'll talk a little bit about yeah. what she said to bring you on. She, you know, Sam and I, I think she came to The Daily Show in 2003, 2003 or 2004. But from the moment she got there, it's funny because her personality is a lot like my sister, Jennifer. Um, there's something about her that reminds me a lot of, of her. And so I think I was immediately like, oh, I really like this person because she reminds me of my sister. And so she and I became friends right off the bat, like as soon as she started there. And, you know, I would go sit in her office and we would just kind of shoot the shit for an hour at a time and just really like had a lovely friendship and a lovely relationship. And I was just like, you know, Sam is so smart. She did such a good job. She's so funny that it just really like loved our friendship. And so we would talk through things all the time. And so then when she moved on, got her show and called me, it was, she was basically like, you just have to come over. And I was like, well, you know, it's scary because it's a new show and I have a family and like, I have to support them. And it was, she was, you know, very nice about it. She's the nicest person in the entire world, super Canadian. And was like, you know, I know you have to do whatever you have to do for your family, but I really want you to come over. Um, and so it took like, it took me like a beat. And then finally, like, I was like, you know what? I just have to do it. I just have to like make that jump. 
And so I did and went over and it's just, it's been incredible. It's like, you know, the team at The Daily Show is unbelievable. They're so smart and so talented and so kind and such hard workers. And I kept thinking, I was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I leaving this behind? Because this is such a great group of people. And then they came to Full Frontal and it's a team that's just, you know, that I love absolutely just as much. Like they are so incredibly smart in a way that has like blown me away. Everybody there from the top to the bottom just works their ass off all day long. And it's such a, a like wonderful family that we have together that it's just been, it's been amazing. It's really been like my favorite job experience of my life for sure. And so you're an executive producer of that program. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what are the two or three things that you do primarily in prep for the show? Is it mostly making sure the writers are set and the content is through? Is it talking to the network? Is it like, what are the primary responsibilities? It's all of that. (laughs) (laughs) And then some, I would imagine. Totally. It's literally all of that. It's like basically my whole job is to make the machine work. So it's like, you know, I have to constantly like make sure everything's going. So it's like the writers are writing the scripts. Are they having any holdups? Are they having any problems? I'm there for them all the time. They can text me a hundred times a day and do, and we talk about them and we kind of work those things through. I'm talking to the network all the time. I'm talking through what's going to be on the show. I'm talking about like future ad campaigns that we're going to do or marketing campaigns or ideas that we've had that need some sort of like network funding. Um, So I'm talking to them a million times a day. I'm also talking to Sam a million times a day um, and the other EPs to to try to figure out like, you know, what's not only what's the vision for this next show, but what's the overall vision for six months? Like, what do we want to really be telling people like, how do we stake our claim and things? And then anything that Sam comes up with where she's like, oh, I had an idea that blank, it's my job to make it happen and whatever that takes to make it happen. So it's like, you know, if that means getting writers or convincing the network that they need to give us however much money or talking to people and kind of figuring out like logistically how to make things work through post-production and figuring out props and all of that stuff, that's kind of like, I'm sort of just at the top coordinating that whole effort just to take whatever ideas they are and like bringing them to fruition in the most like beautiful and funniest way possible. Is that the daily show is obviously a daily show full frontal mm-hmm. is a weekly program. Is that oh, less stressful <laughs> because it's weekly? Is it more yes. stressful because there's more at stake? No, it's much less stressful. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not even going to lie. The daily show is literally like, it is a grind like no other to have four shows a week. Is it's incredible. The amount of material that you have to be cranking out for four shows a week is mind blowing. Like it's, it's hard. It's fast paced. There's a lot of stuff that's going to happen. It's very hard to make sure that everything is completely accurate because it's just going so fast all the time. Um, that's what I, I love about having a weekly show is that, you know, I'm still working all the time, but there's a chance to take a breath. And then there's also a chance to sort of like curate things a little bit more than you could if you had to put them out every day which is great. So it's like, you you know, instead of having a script that has a first draft and then you do a rewrite and then you put it on the air, it's, you have a script that has a first draft and then it has a first rewrite and then it has a second day, second rewrite, and then it has a day of show rewrite. So it gets to go through multiple processes. And it's the same with our field pieces where, you know, they have a rough cut and then they have like a good, like week or so to really fine tune them and really make them exactly what their vision is before we put them on the air. And that to me, like as somebody who's like a super perfectionist, that's incredibly gratifying to be able to like take that much time to craft the show that we want to have. 
you mentioned this a bit and you, you kind of couched it in her being um, Canadian, although uh-huh. she did get American citizenship fairly recently, right? She did. Yeah. She's yeah. a dual citizen now. Right. So she, I, cause I remember her on one of the shows, she was like, this is my first election that I can vote in. Um, yes. And so, but she has, I, I think what, what's so wonderful. And I think one of the things that makes her program so successful, your program so successful is she has a very relatable personality but she's yes. so quick-witted and so sharp and so incisive about the level of bullshit that is going on yes. in the world right now. And the notion that and, and she's also like an Upper West Side quote unquote celebrity. Because I walk by her, I don't know, five times a week when I'm taking my kids oh, to school. Yeah. She lives around the corner from me, I think. Um, yeah. so that's that relatableness, at least for me, makes the show really, really successful. Totally. I mean, she it's so funny because it's like, you know, people ask me what she's like. She's truly like, and I'm not even kidding. She's the kindest person I've ever met in my entire life. She hates compliments. So I hope she never hears this ever, but she's the kindest person in the entire world. She's the most generous person ever. You could tell her, like you could offhandedly mention, you know, an album that you loved from the 1970s. And like two weeks later, it's mysteriously at your door and from in an anonymous package. You know what I mean? Like she's that type of like high level, just really cares about the people around her. And it's just so generous with her time and her money and her thoughts. And it's, I mean, she's special. She's just a special person. And she is so smart and so funny and so fast on her feet. And I just love it that, you know, we, you start thinking about ideas and it's like, you can kind of like everybody's sort of throwing things out. And every once in a while, she just literally comes in with just like, you know, the comedy knife that cuts through all of it. And you're like, yes, that's it. That's exactly what we have to do, you know? It's amazing to be with somebody who's like that. You are one of the, probably the only person I know who has actually been on stage at the Emmys. What was that experience like? Oh, you haven't actually been up there? No, I haven't been up on stage. I've been to the Emmys a bunch, but I've never been on the stage. What's the experience of the Emmys like? As a person who's there with a program, I think I know people who've been there just because they've gotten invited through something or whatever. But you know, when you're yeah. there with a program and you're waiting for the results to be announced, what's that like? Totally. It's, I mean, it's really like to be there with your show and to be nominated, to have like your name on the ballot and you can see it. It's, it's overwhelming. Like it's literally like, you know, you get all dressed up. It feels like everybody that you work with is at prom because everybody, (laughs) you know, normally we all wear like sweatshirts and ponytails. And so to have everybody together and looking nice, is amazing. It's very overwhelming. Like it's just, just such a great moment as a staff to have everybody kind of show up. You're on the red carpet, every single place you turn, there's a celebrity that you recognize. And it's just like a wonderful, wonderful feeling. And I think that's like also, you know, the, it's the Portsmouth, Virginia in me still, where I get there and I just can't believe that I'm supposed to be here, you know? Oh, I, even, I absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. So like the whole time that I feel like I'm there, I, you feel a little bit like a phony the whole time because I'm like, I'm not supposed to be here. This is crazy. Um, but it really does make it true that like when you get there, like I don't, I, it would be great to win. Obviously that would be fantastic, but I really don't even care. Like I'm so excited that my name's on the ballot. And I'm there with a show that I'm really proud of and we're all dressed up that to me, it's just like such a like wonderful night of celebration. It's incredible. It feels like there's like one weekend a year that you get to live somebody else's life who's much more glamorous than you'll ever be, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, I, I think only the least earnest among us don't have imposter syndrome on some level. 
Um, <laughs> I feel like I get it every time I, I sit in the, I sat courtside at the Knicks once and I was like, who am I sitting courtside <laughs> at the Knicks? Right? Like right? Matthew Modine is behind me, right? Totally. Spike, Spike Lee's across from me. Like, who am I to sit here? Totally. It's, it's that kind of thing. And every time I have an experience like that, um, you know, and I'm fortunate enough to have experiences like that occasionally. Um, I, I, ex- I think exactly that, that same thing. Yeah. I think that that imposter syndrome though, is like, it's a motivator, honestly. Like I, I'm always one of those people and I don't know what this is, but it's like, I always feel like I, maybe I shouldn't be there. And then also I'm going to get fired at any second. And I felt like that my whole life, but I think it really just motivates me to like work as hard as I possibly can, which is good. Yeah, absolutely. I, well, it's good to a point, right? You don't want to be yeah. doing it to the point that you burn out. But yes, as a motivator, yeah, yeah. it is. It's fabulous. Yeah. So, what is uh, one more question about this? So, during this time where Sam is filming the show in the woods, uh, mm-hmm. it's some. Well, I mean, she's probably disclosed that I don't know, that, but some undisclosed location. Um, undisclosed location. Yes. The um, what's I mean? What's the process of getting the show shot and cut and you know put to air now is it significantly harder slightly harder same significantly harder it's um it was so funny so it's so on march 11th was our last show in the studio and we found out that day right before we taped that there were two positive coronavirus cases in our building um yeah so we made the decision to continue to tape we finished taping we edited the show as fast as possible we fed it to the network and we got out as quickly as we could. Um, before we left, thank God, we grabbed as much equipment as we can we could, like, you know, graphic machines, avid laptops, anything that we thought we might need to make the show remotely, just in case we needed to be out more than a couple of days. <laughs> 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 um, and then we spent the next week or so trying to figure out technically, like, how do we do this? How do we get a show on the air? So it was, it was a lot like making an entire new show, honestly. Um, because the entire process had to change, you know, the teeny tiniest, most granular things that you would never even think about, we had to figure out how to do. We had to figure out, you know, Sam, if she's going to shoot this outside, thank God she's got Jason, her husband, who's a director who knows how to do this, but they only have iPhones. Like, is it going to look good enough on an iPhone? Like they, and they had iPhone 10. So we just upgraded them to an iPhone 11 because it's like... (laughs) It's the best you could do. But then it's like, you know, do we have lights? How's Sam going to have a teleprompter? Is she going to have to memorize the entire script? Like it's every single teeny tiny little detail like that you have to figure out. Like, you know, God bless her. She pulled 30 blazers from her office and took them with her that night because she knew that we might be out in the forest for a little while. Um, But then it's like, you know, there's that portion of it. But then there's also the, the creative portion of it where we're normally in a big room together pitching ideas and going back and forth and talking to each other. And now all of that is done on Slack or on zoom. All of our creative edits are done over zoom. So trying to make that switch over, I mean, you know, this, everything takes 50% longer because you log in and somebody gets disconnected or has to reboot or they're on mute and can't figure out how to unmute themselves. And it's like every single thing takes time. Um, so just to, we literally had to take every step of the process that we know so well and translate it to remote. And it was very challenging. The one, I think, thing that has made me a better human through all of this is that I have become far more understanding of the technologically challenged because there are times I feel like my father when I'm trying to screen share or unmute myself on oh, yeah. one of the zillion different types of conference things there are. Yeah. Um, totally. So I, that is definitely has definitely come. So 
Now let's talk about, um, you know, you work 60 to 80 hours a week and it's super yes. intense, um, yeah. but schools are closed yes. and children are home and yes. they're distance learning. Yes. And, you know, you're a working mom and Vince is wonderful and I'm sure he does everything yes. he can to help too. He's amazing. But it yes. is one of those things where, you know, that stuff tends to fall on one party in the house sort of disproportionately to the other. You, yes. you have to be a working mom and you have to teach <laughs> to yes. some extent. How is yes. that going? It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It's awful. We're doing a terrible job. Like I publicly apologize to my children for this portion of their lives because if we're doing a terrible job, but it's the best that we possibly can do. Like there, you know, there's, I, I honestly, I literally have just said to myself over and over, I thank God that both of my kids are smart and they're curious and they're good readers and they will a hundred percent catch up as soon as things go back to normal. <laughs> That's sort of what I'm banking on because it's, it's just, it's so much. It's so intense all the time. I can hear my daughter screaming in the living room right now. There's just, a, you know, especially like for, there's seven years old and 10 years old. The 10 year old is generally fine. He's kind of like off to the races by himself. The seven year old just wants to like, I mean, literally she wants to like hang out with her dolly on the couch and watch YouTube all day. Like she does, you know, she doesn't want to do schoolwork. Yeah, they don't get it um no you know our kids are obviously the same age they went to nursery yeah. school together um yeah. but it's it's one of those things where you know you feel the rules loosening i feel for the teachers um Ugh. because generally they have to deal with my children when in a normal environment but now this is not what they signed up for um oh, so God, trying no. to figure out how to teach them in any meaningful way in this especially in the new york city school district where there's you know, 800 or a thousand or a million kids that are all trying to do this at the same time. Um, yes. But it, it's the expectation that they're putting on the parents um, is, is wildly uh, oh. out of whack. And, you know, we're not, I'm not an essential worker, right? I don't leave my house. Um, yeah. But imagine having a seven and a 10 year old and also being an essential worker. Yeah. I've thought the same thing where it's like, if you think about, I mean, we, you know, we're lucky. We're so lucky. It's like I, we're both married. We both have like spouses who are fantastic. We both have kids who are adorable and sweet and we're not essential workers. We don't have to leave the house. Can you imagine being like a single mom who has three kids, who's an essential worker and has to leave every day? Like, wh like I don't, what do they do? You know what I mean? It's just awful. Like we, a lot of our worry is sort of taken away because I feel like we're lucky and we have a lot of access to things, but like, what do you even do if you don't have that access? I, I do think about that a lot and I really, which is one of the reasons that it's, you know, we need to start quantifying the risk of this thing so that we yeah. can start getting things going a little bit more so that people can start moving around and helping one another a bit more. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, you know, we have, we have a babysitter named Cara who we love, who's like our family member at this point. And she's home with her family right now. Obviously, she can't come over. But like normally, she's like our lifeline during the week. You know, she's the one who picks our kids up from school every day. And she makes sure that they get their homework done. And she feeds them dinner. And so by the time we get home, all we have to do is like love our children and hang out. And so to not have that at all, I mean, it's really, really challenging. And there's some days we just do a terrible job. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you know, I... I talk a lot about this um, with various people in various text chains and Slack channels and all this other stuff. We're, we're just all sort of going to have to be okay and forgive ourselves 
for this time in our lives where we just don't have the time to do everything that we possibly could. And sometimes we're going to do a bad job at it, at it and that's got to yeah. be okay. Uh, yeah, it just has to be totally. Okay. Totally. I mean, I will say the one thing that makes me happy though, is that like, especially as a working mom, I've always had that guilt that I'm like missing out on things. You know, it's like, are you missing out like on a first step or the first word or the first time they like hit a baseball or whatever. And that's one thing that's been nice is that I know that I've missed nothing, you know, even the mundane stuff. And that's been yeah, really nice. It's, it's good to appreciate that. All right. Here's my big bang final question Great. here. I love okay? it. You spent, I think it was like 18 years in the end at the daily show, mm -hmm. something like that. I did. Yeah. And you saw however many people come through those doors, pick one. Who was your favorite guest that they ever had on The Daily Show while you were there? Barack Obama. <laughs> that, that fast. Yeah. I mean, it was, I just remember meeting him the first time that he was a guest. He was still a senator and he was a guest on the show and he came and it was like, have you ever been in a room with somebody where like you're not even looking at the door and you can feel that person walk in? It's just like, like this giant, bright, sunshiny ball of charisma that's walked in your peripheral vision. And you know that there's somebody huge that's right next to you and you turn around and there they are. I mean, he was just like so kind, so smart, so funny, went around, talked to everybody in our entire office. He was incredible. So hands down him. That's amazing. Well, can I ask yeah. one? This is one last question, actually, now that I'm thinking about oh, it. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Every book that they put on the desk there, I'm assuming the guest will like sign and inscribe. So does John yeah. have a book or a video or an album or whatever from every person who's appeared on the show, like in his house somewhere? Uh, he's given them all away. <laughs> <laughs> so he did at one point. Yeah. He did at one point, yes. But that all goes like we used to have this, the most like glorious free pile at The Daily Show where it's all of that stuff and it's incredible. I mean, I think there's obviously a couple of things that he held on to, but for the most part, they've all gone to the loving homes of Daily Show employees. That's amazing. Listen, yeah. this was unbelievable. Thank you so, so much for taking the time. Thank I know you. it's tough during the middle oh of the God. day in quarantine, but. It was fine. I'm like, we had the show last night. So today is not so bad. Deep breath out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Hey, thank you, Jeff. It's so nice to talk to you. Thanks again to Allison for joining us on the pod this week. Make sure you tune in to Full Frontal with Samantha B Wednesday nights at 10.30 on TBS. In honor of Allison's hometown, here's Portsmouth, Virginia native Missy Elliott playing us out with her hit, Working. See you next time. Is it worth it? Let me work it. I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. It's your primitive, it's why I need a It's your primitive, it's why I need a If you got a big, let me search it. If I'm